Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. We had a great online service this morning. We call it I Hope Online. And uh, we talked about it at the end because I knew God was working and, and touching people's hearts and lives as we were sharing that that became wherever they were, like my studio downstairs, it was just me in the, the basement, but that was my sanctuary because I felt the presence of the Lord. And I said to the people, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, that is your sanctuary because you're sensing the presence of the Lord. Now, here we are, we call this the sanctuary Okay, but you can sit in this, these four walls and not sense the presence of the Lord. And I think a lot of it is just dependent upon where you're at and where your mind is and where your heart is at the time. So let's, let's turn this place into a sanctuary, not because of our location, but because of our, our heart today. Because I know God wants to uh, work and speak to our hearts. I was going to light the Advent candle downstairs because I try to have the online church participate in what we're doing as a whole. And then I lit it so I could do it on the spot because it was a brand new candle. And I realized there's a fire uh, thing right above me. And I thought, well, that would be bad because if I blow it out, at the end of the service and the smoke goes, we'd have to empty the whole building, the fire company comes, the police come, and, and, and everything. And I'm tired of having the police come to church looking for me. I mean, how many times can you go through that, you know? So anyway, we shared this together. I meant to call Justin um, last night. Is he here? Is he here? He might have went downstairs. I meant to call Justin last night because he has a blowtorch. And first of all, I wasn't so sure about Justin with fire, honestly. Uh, I knew Kelly and the kids could do the reading, but Justin with the fire, I was. but then I thought, wow, if he's going to do it, let's do it big. And I thought a blowtorch would do that. And the reason I did that, because they were doing something with the kids on a Wednesday night at my house in the fire pit, and he came, he came with his own blowtorch to start the fire, because, you know, matches and a, and a lighter wasn't enough. So they leave, he calls me not five minutes later in a panic, he's like, dude, dude, I... I left my blowtorch at your house. Well, are you like a welder or something that you're going to need it? Oh, dude, dude, need my blowtorch, need my blowtorch. <laughs> so they turned around from wherever they were going, came back and got the blowtorch. So maybe next week we'll have Justin uh, light that one candle again with a blowtorch. How many think that's a good idea? Yeah, no, me either. No, let's move on from there. Uh, so I was looking at uh, this week, uh, this new series that we're, that we're starting on the signs of Christmas, and I began to think about uh, some street signs that we see and, and encounter. And so here's a bunch of them. Um, I particularly, I don't know how well you can see them all the way in the back, but I like the tractor crossing. That seems appropriate uh, for where we live. Uh, we followed a tractor. Have you ever followed a tractor longer than what you wanted to, but there was no way to get around them? God bless our farmers, without a doubt. But they're impossible to get, get past. I, I like the, the cow crossing one. How many live in an area where you literally have a cow crossing uh, sign? I've always wanted to get a cow um, in our backyard. It's all fenced in. It would be wonderful. 
I would name him Gus. It would be a beautiful relationship. But anyway, uh, some of the signs here. The, the, the most useless sign that I've ever experienced in my life is the sign on what used to be the triangle over here. If you're coming from Wawa over the bridge and before you merge into 40, there's a yield sign. It's the most useless sign because no one yields there. No one yields. I'm not so sure what's so difficult about that. But they'll see somebody come in here and just continue. It's not merge. Merge is you keep going and you, you fit in. Yield is you, you, you stop. Stop and, and let people go through. It's useless. We hear accidents all the time. We can hear them from our house. The stop sign at the end of Dutch Mill is also useless at night. When people are flying down Dutch Mill, don't know there's a stop sign, go across 40 and right down into the railroad tracks. Do you know that that happens often? More than a couple times a year, and we can hear it. They hit a tree or something, and next thing you know, the sirens are going off and all of that. So please don't, uh, you know, make sure you stop. So some signs are useless. So when we, were, when we would travel, uh, when we had kids and we'd travel wherever we were going, this next sign was always my favorite. Because, you know, that was the important thing. Where are we going to eat? I basically base my day on, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, I've, I have a, a nephew that he, he's an attorney in Arizona, and he will forget to eat. And he'll get home that night after work and say, oh, I forgot to eat. That has never, ever happened to me. <laughs> I've never experienced that in my life. Oh, I forgot to eat. So we'd be traveling, and we would base where we were going to stop on, on which uh, restaurant we wanted to stop in. Now, I don't know where there's a Shoney's. There's, there's none in New Jersey, right? I'm thinking the Midwest. I just, oh, in the South. Oh, in the South. Okay. Um, I just grabbed the picture. But if I were to choose a couple different things. Now, this is important. If I were going to take it home, Okay, and we weren't traveling, I would probably go with uh, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Okay, but at my age, fried foods on the road, not a good idea. So I would probably go with Wendy's. So if this ends up on YouTube and Wendy's management is watching this, you're welcome to gift me with all the burgers I can eat for the rest of my life. <laughs> Which, if I ate a burger that often, wouldn't be that long. So it's really a good investment, uh, good investment. So this was, this was my, my favorite. But now that I've gotten a little bit older, this is my favorite sign now. Yeah. I used to base things on where we would stop for the food. Now I base things on it's time to stop. I want to apologize to my family and anybody else that has traveled with me uh, through the years when I was younger and said, oh, you'll be fine, just hold it. I apologize to them. Apologize. Now we're driving. It's just Dora and I. And I'll be like, you have to stop. She's like, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, well, I have to stop. <laughs> so that's my favorite sign now. Signs point us to where we're going and point us to what lies ahead. Okay? For Jesus, and because of his supernatural birth and the necessity of his supernatural birth, God gave signs to people so that they would know who Jesus was and what lied ahead for them. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at just four signs of Jesus' birth. And the pastors are going to take, take some different ones. Uh, Pastor Joe is uh, preaching next week on the manger and swaddling clothes. 
Pastor Roe, the final week on uh, the Star of Bethlehem. But today, I'm starting with the virgin birth, the sign of the virgin birth. Now, I want us to look at uh, Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14, therefore, you can go to the slide that's generic now. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign in Isaiah 7.14. The Lord himself will give you a sign, and here's the sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. So the sign is the virgin birth. She will give birth to a son and will call him. Does anybody know the rest of it? Emmanuel, God with us. Well, it's hugely important in everything that we believe. So 600 years later, Luke, who was a doctor and also an historian, he gives the most detailed account of Jesus' life. I don't know if you know that. Although Paul wrote most of the New Testament according to the books, Luke and Acts that he also wrote actually has more content than all that Paul wrote. So Luke was a, a huge... Uh, part of the gospel story. He was a doctor, historian. He traveled with Paul. He researched all of this. 600 years later, Luke writes about the fulfillment of this sign in Luke 1, 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. And as, as you're turning there, let me mention to you, make sure this month you reread the Christmas story. And here's what I do is I like to read familiar passages from different translations. And it just gives a little bit different feel to it. Uh, they might use some different words. Uh, mostly any translation you can find, unless it's given by, you know, a cult or something like that, they're reliable. They're reliable. And you can be assured that it is the word, the word of God. I don't want to get into all of that now, but, but I've been reading uh, the New Living Translation a lot. I've mostly read throughout my life the New International Version. I like the paraphrase, the message is also good. I really enjoy that, especially for scriptures that I know. So take the time, read it. Uh, if you're familiar with it, read it from a different translation and just let God speak to you all over again. It would be unfortunate if we just knew the Christmas story by rote memory and didn't let it touch our hearts all over again. So here's Luke 126 through 38 from the New International Version. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child, verse 31, and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now imagine this teenage girl in the small town, out of all of the universe, an angel appears to her and speaks these words to her. She says in verse 34, and naturally so, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, I'm unmarried. 
The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now these are important facts here. He will be born from Mary. He will be the Son of God. This is the significance of the virgin birth. A a sign that he would give Mary is that your Elizabeth, your relative, who's old, uh, who's in her old age, and who was said to be barren is already pregnant in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. So Mary was going to know all of this was true because of the sign that was given her. Okay? Mary says this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. The virgin birth is essential to the gospel story. Without the virgin birth, there is no gospel message. There would be no salvation for all humanity if not for the truth of the virgin birth. Mark Driscoll says this, if the virgin birth of Jesus is untrue, then the story changes dramatically or greatly. We would have a sexually promiscuous young woman lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son raising that son to declare he was God and then joining his religion. Do you see that? Do you see how awful this story is if it's not true? Do you see how awful it would be if this was propagated and spread throughout the world if this wasn't true? But if Mary is nothing more than a sinful con artist, then neither she nor her son can be trusted. Because both the clear teachings of Scripture about the beginning of Jesus' earthly life and the character of his mother are at stake. We must contend, we must stand for, and we must proclaim the virgin birth. Okay, so let's look at the reasons why the virgin birth is essential to the gospel story. I'm going to throw in some theology and different things here, but bear with me. We're going to bring it home at the end, I promise, I promise. But it's important that you understand the significance of the virgin birth. Firstly, Jesus came to us as the Son of God. This supernatural birth that had never occurred before and has never occurred since points us to Jesus' divinity. That Jesus being born in Bethlehem was not just another child being born in Bethlehem or being born in Israel or being born on earth. Jesus' birth was different because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Don Stewart writes this, the most important reason to hold the belief in the virgin birth concerns Jesus' identity as God the Son, the second person in the Trinity. Now watch this, if Joseph were his true father and this birth came through natural means, then Jesus would only be a human being, okay? And he would have been a good human being but he wouldn't have been God, see? Now, let me go take a step ahead here. If he is not God, then his sacrifice is not sufficient to cleanse the sins of all the world. See, he had to be God. He had to be born by this divine nature. Otherwise, he would have just been a good human, a good teacher, let's say, but his sacrifice would not have been sufficient to save us from all of our sins, He would not be the son of God if he was just born as a human being. As scripture clearly states, he would have had his beginning in time rather than eternally existent. Jesus had to, watch this, Jesus had to be born the son of God, okay? Had to be born supernaturally 
because then he could be the savior of humanity. Now let me walk you through something here. Since the beginning in the first sin of Adam and Eve and through the Old Testament, I'll give you a couple examples in the New Testament and in modern day, humanity has always looked for a savior. Adam and Eve wanted to be their own savior, right? And so they deliberately disobeyed the known will of God and they didn't become a savior. They brought sin into the world and were suffering the consequences of ever since. So then came Noah's flood because of that sin. And then after Noah's flood, God said to the people, and as they were multiplying and growing, be fruitful, multiply, and spread out around the world because everything had been lost through the flood. The people get together and say, we don't want to do that. Instead, we're going to make a name for ourselves and we're going to build a tower that represents our greatness, and we would call that the Tower of Babel, right? We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to save ourselves. See, we're going to save ourselves. And that didn't work, did it? It didn't work. So the Tower of Babel was part of that. Israel, again, through the the history, Samuel was a man of God, but his children didn't serve the Lord. And so the, the leaders of Israel came to Samuel and said, we want a king just like the other nations. Because they had just suffered defeat and they thought an earthly king would lead them to victory. They were looking for a savior. They were looking for a savior in a man, in just a man. He was a big, strong, tall man, Saul but he was just a man. He could never be their savior. In the New Testament, we find that the religious Jews were looking for a Messiah to save them from Rome. They were looking for a savior. That's why they couldn't see Jesus on the cross as a savior because they didn't recognize that he had to suffer first and he had a much higher purpose than defeating Rome. They never considered that suffering Savior. Nicodemus, who was the pinnacle of humanity, realized he couldn't save himself. That's why he went to Jesus at night to find out if all of these things that he heard were true. People still look for a Savior today, and I'll give you some examples. People in their minds, they might not say it out loud, but if I just have enough money in the bank, then everything's going to be all right. Can I tell you how untrue that is? First of all, it won't bring happiness. It really doesn't. It causes more problems. Uh, but listen, if not, that is if you put your hope in money and if you think money is your savior and here's where everything changes if you get sick. I've had people tell me that were incredibly wealthy more than I would ever see in a lifetime many times over and they would say, if I only had my health, I would give everything else up because money can't be your savior. It's good for now. It's good for now and we need it for now. I like what John Wesley said, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. I think that's good advice, okay? We're not against money, we're against the love of money because money can never be your savior no matter how much you have. Relationships, and I'll say for the uh, alliteration that I like, money and marriage cannot be your savior. Whoever is sitting next to you or uh, whatever, if you're not married or whatever, There's no human being that can be your savior. Sometimes young couples will go into marriage thinking, oh, they're the one that is going to save me. They're the one that are going to help me. They're going to get me out of a bad situation. They're going to help me be a better person. Uh, They're going to meet every need that I have. Listen, your spouse is not your savior, nor can, can they be, because they're human, and they're flawed just like you are. But we continue to look for a savior. Here's a real bad idea. 
that marriages sometimes face difficulties and they think if we have a child, that will bring us closer together. That's a, that's a real bad decision. Please talk to someone before you make that decision. And, and if you talk to me, you don't even have to call me. Listen to these words. If your marriage is in trouble, I mean, we want to help you with that. But if your marriage is in trouble, listen to these words. A child won't help. Okay? Because a child, especially when they're younger, will reveal every crack in your character and every crack in your relationship. And it, it shows most when you haven't slept for months. It's a very bad idea to bring a child into a very bad relationship because children are not your savior. And even as our children grow, we can make children into our gods. Children are great gifts, but they're terrible gods. And to all the parents out there, if you live your life revolving around your children, you're in trouble because a couple things will happen. They will let you down and you'll realize they're not your savior or they grow up, go away to college and leave. Rotten, stinking, miserable children. That's how it works. <laughs> we're, I mean, we're praying that our, our children get married someday. We don't have that day, but we think that they will someday. And in particular with Lindsay, uh, whenever she gets married, I, I can't wait till she calls and asks for money. And I say, oh, no, no. No, no, no. You have an, another man in your life now. See, you chose that. I'm looking forward to that day. Oh, no, no. A comedian that we like, John Panetti, says, oh, nay, nay. Nay, nay. We, I know. As I don't control the money at home anyhow, so I wouldn't know. But anyway, but, uh, but uh, oh, nay, nay, we're saving for the grandchildren. Now them, if the grandchildren ask for anything, there you go. But listen, children won't solve the issue of needing a savior. Money won't. Marriage won't. And you know what? The church won't either. This church will not save you. The person we point to will save you. But the church won't save you because the church is made up of imperfect people. And it starts at the pulpit and works its way back. Okay? Uh, the church cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. Now, we want to point to Jesus so that they can know the true Savior. Here's the point. Humanity has always looked for a Savior and could never find one. And so since we couldn't get to God, God came to us. And he had to come born of a virgin so that his nature would be divine, so that his sacrifice on the cross would be sufficient for all of our sins. God came to us because we couldn't get to him. The second reason of the virgin birth is Jesus cares about us. He was the son of God. He was born by supernatural means, but he was born as a man. He was born as a man. He was literally a baby. Let me say this too as well. Um, I know, listen, church, how can I say this politely? Sometimes church people major in the minors and miss the major things altogether. I can't tell you how many times somebody has said to me, oh, you know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Yeah, I get it. 
you know, I get it. I understand that. Does it really matter? What matters is that he was born. That's what matters. Oh, oh, here's a good one. I'm sorry if any of you believe this. (laughs) I'm not thinking of anyone. Most of the people that I've dealt with, they don't go to this church anymore. (laughs) I don't know why. I can't figure it out. Oh, I'll use this voice. Oh, Christmas trees, pagan, pagan. Listen, God created everything and called it good. What you do with it is up to you. If you worship this fake, or I mean permanent tree, or real tree, if you worship that, that's on you. Well, December 25th is not the day. Listen, here's how I live my life. Maybe I'm wrong. I've, I've been wrong before. I don't give the devil any day. Every day is this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't give the devil, devil October 31st. I don't give him December 25th. I don't give him December 5th. I'm not going to give him December 6th or 7th either. Every day is the day the Lord has made, and I choose to rejoice in it. So here we don't major in the minors. We major in the majors. And here's a major, major point of the gospel. Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, if you don't believe that, then we're going to have to talk. Then we're going to have to look through scriptures together. But you know what else I found? Oh, I'm really nasty today. I'm nasty most days. Uh, Listen to this. Most people that major in these minors and make a big deal about it to the point of, you know, ruining relationships, they read a book or they read a, a website. And you know how I feel about websites with small letters and very long writing? I don't know how people have that much time. Well, it's because they don't work and they still live in their mother's basement. That's why they can put together these websites. But most of the people, by the time they come to me, is they've already made up their mind. And so what good is it that I'm going to say? Because I, I can literally present to them what is accurate and what is true. I do know that. Okay? Uh, my kids took theology in school and they were amazed that I actually knew the terms. They thought they were going to stump me. And so they would use these theological terms. I'd be like, yeah, that's this. I said, guys, just because I don't talk about it over spaghetti and meatballs, I've been doing this for a while. I have some education and training. I know it doesn't come out much, but it's true. But people will read some book, they'll look at some website, and they'll determine that certain things that have to do with the gospel aren't the way it's been taught. And that's not the way it should be. Another big one lately, and oh boy, and I'm done, I promise. Unless I think of another one. Another big one lately is, oh boy, some of you might, well no, you wouldn't believe this, you wouldn't be here today. Oh, the church is wrong for worshiping on Sundays. You should worship on Saturdays. Here's my point. I want to worship Monday too. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sunday just happens to be we get together and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you can have church on Saturday and live like the devil the rest of the week and you've gained nothing. We don't get caught up in all this stuff. And so I recommended, and I've done this, because I'm, I'm not at the core a nice person. I've recommended to people, well, here's what you should do. You should start a campaign and let the three billion other Christians that worship on Sunday, let them know. Because here with our 
250, 300 people, we're good on Sundays. But let the three billion other people know. We're going to major on the majors. And whatever day you choose to worship the Lord, I hope it's every day. Whatever day we celebrate Christmas, I hope it reminds you that we have a Savior who is the Son of God that came to us because we just can't get to Him. That's what I hope it does. These are the things that are important. Here's the the second part. He came as a man because as he was sufficient because he was God, because he was born of a man, he is able to be substitutionary. And that means this. He was able to substitute his life for mine because he was a man. That gives me chills. God in all of his glory took on humanity so that he could die in my place. That's what matters. I joke about being mean and nasty. I I, I don't think I really am. But I am unworthy. And nothing reminds me more of how unworthy I am than the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't know that I'm going to get to this later. I might, I might not. But I think of the, the cross as this is his humanity, his substitutionary sacrifice. This is his divinity that his sacrifice is sufficient to cleanse all of us from all of our sins. See, the virgin birth comes together at the cross. Son of God, son of man. That's the difference that it makes. Please, and there must be a reason I'm saying this, don't major on the minors. Don't talk about the day. Talk about the Savior. Don't talk about the decorations. Talk about the one that gave up the glories of heaven to die for our sins. We only have so much time. We don't have time to focus on all these little minor things. Jesus is coming back and people are lost. They've tried to save themselves. They've tried to make someone else save them. They've, they've, they've lived their life to make money and found out that won't save them. And, and here we are with the message of Jesus Christ. And we're debating whether he was born on the 25th or not. Who cares? When we get to heaven, we'll know. I just want to make sure that we know Jesus now. Now. And that we're the ones proclaiming the message of Jesus. Not every wind of doctrine, every fad that comes along. Every, oh boy. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Every crazy, nutso, Pentecostal, weird stuff that's out there. I'm Pentecostal. I was born a Pentecostal. Think I was speaking in tongues when I came out of the womb. But I'm not that dude that's into every wave and wind of doctrine that comes along. Some of you have been in Pentecost long enough to know some of this ridiculousness that has turned people away from Jesus. Here's what a Pentecostal is. Someone that preaches Jesus Christ as the only Savior through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes he enables us with signs and wonders. And sometimes he does the miraculous as a sign that he is who he says he is. That's what a Pentecostal is. 
Not all this weird stuff. It makes me so angry and I get so passionate. And here's why. Because people are ruined by this stuff. Because it didn't work for them. It didn't work the same way as they saw on TV. You realize TV's not real. You realize that. You realize these crusades with 100,000 people are what you see on TV, but when 10 people showed up for the same preacher, they don't show you that on TV. You realize that, right? Because you can't raise funds on 10 people. You realize these, these, these things, I don't know if they're as prevalent now, but they were more prevalent when I was younger. These, how do I say this? These healers that weren't healers, they were charlatans. One dude had a, a, a mic or a, a, a speaker in his ear and people would fill out cards and he would call people out of the crowd and his wife would be feeding them the information. What angers me is people were hurt by that. They force people out of a wheelchair on video and the next day that person can't move, but you don't see that. And this person is destroyed because they felt that God, they let God down. Please, we preach Christ and him crucified. He's the only hope of salvation for all eternity when in heaven we'll all be healed. There'll be no more pain and no more suffering. People die on earth. People get sick on earth. That's why heaven is our hope. All right, that's enough. Well, I'm not done with the sermon. I'm done on the parenthesis to the sermon. You get that extra. No charge for the parenthesis. But sometimes, you know what? You got to hear it. TV is not real, whether it's a sitcom or some of that other stuff. Remember, you only see the good stuff. You don't see the other stuff. Get your life straight with God. Live for Jesus. Study his word and pray. Love one another even your enemies. That'll work for you. That'll work. All right. Okay. I was talking to John Sapello, who's up in the sound booth. You can look at him now because he hurt my feeling. And he, we were talking. He changed the batteries and, and all of that on my mic, and he's about to turn my mic off. But anyway... I said, uh, we had a great online service, and, and uh, I don't remember the exact words, but I had great online service, and, uh, and I enjoy preaching that. And he said, the second one should be better, right? And I said, well, it'll be longer uh, anyhow. And he says, so I guess it's not better. So that, that, yeah, yeah. See this feeling right here? That's the one he hurt right there, closer to the heart, but not quite at the heart yet. Jesus had to be born as a man. I'll go through this quickly. He had to be born as a man because if God came to earth, all humanity would be destroyed. You get that, right? Because no one can see God and live. So the plan wouldn't have worked if God came in all of his glory. So instead he was born as an infant. Otherwise, earth would be shattered because of its sin. Because sin doesn't win, God's glory wins. So as soon as the spotless almighty God landed on earth, it's gone. That's why he burns it with fire first. We call that global warming. He burns it with fire first, and then he ushers in new heaven and a new earth without sin so that he can come to earth and be with us and we with him. You get that? Oh, that excites me. Man, 
had to be born. If he appeared as he is, we'd all be gone. Why doesn't God wipe out all evil? If you didn't hear my sermons on evil, you need to listen to those. Because you wouldn't be here if God wiped out all evil. That's why. What he did is he sent his son so you can receive him. That's what he did. He had to be born sinless. The seed of Adam was not passed on to him. He had to remain sinless. He fulfilled the law. The only human to ever fulfill the law. He never sinned. Never a wrong thought. What? I had wrong thoughts while I'm preaching. I'm sure half the stuff I said I shouldn't have. He was sinless. Had to be born as a man. He had to fulfill the law. Otherwise, his sacrifice wouldn't have been substitutionary. Just another man. Therefore, he was the spotless lamb. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead. Dick Foth said this. I love this so much. God left his place. He came to our place. He took our place. And then he invites us back to his place. Love that. One day, I'm going to say something good, too. I really, that's my goal. Jesus had a real body. He had a real body. He felt hunger. He felt pain. This is where I'm going to land here. He felt hunger. He felt pain. He knew what it was like to be tired. Jesus had a soul, real emotions. He cried. He was full of joy as well. He had hope. He was troubled and overwhelmed. Can I, can I talk to you now more gently? Christmas overwhelms sometimes. That our lives are hard regularly, and I don't deny that. And we go through really difficult times, and I know that. And then Christmas is just more because we have things we have to do and things we have to accomplish, and I, I get all of that. It's very easy this holiday season to be overwhelmed. And sometimes just life itself overwhelms us. Can I tell you that we have a Savior that understands because he was born of a virgin, lived as a man, so he experienced and knows all of the things that we faced. Jesus on earth was overwhelmed with sorrow. Have you ever been there where you're, you're, you're Emotions are so overwhelmed that you feel it physically. Jesus was there. And so when you pray and you ask Jesus to help you, he understands when no one else does. Some people are in similar categories where you can understand what someone has gone through, but all of us are unique. And I'll just throw out an example. I'm not thinking of anything other than just a quick example. Like someone that has been addicted understands someone that has been addicted better than someone that hasn't. I can help and I can pray and love that person, but I I don't relate to them in that way, okay? That's why groups are important where you get together and you have similar experiences. But even within similar experiences, each person's experience is unique, And no one can fully understand what we go through, watch, except Jesus. He fully understands what we go through. He understands and he cares. See, the virgin birth, he came to us 
the virgin birth, he cares about us. Do you see that? Do you see why it's so important that Jesus was born God, that Jesus was born man, that he was 100% God and 100% man, that his glory was veiled in his humanity, but he never stopped being God. Otherwise, I, I know I keep going to the cross, but what do we say? We preach Christ and him, what? Crucified. See? Had to be both of those. He had a spirit because he was a man. Father, I commit my spirit into your hands. Body, soul, and spirit, he lived like we do, only without sin. His glory was, was veiled in humanity, but he never stopped being God. He never stopped being man. Now, I'm going to share these last scriptures with you, and we're going to go to communion. Hebrews. I want to thank Kelly again. Thank her for me, because I was done preaching downstairs and realized I needed to have these scriptures on the screen in the next five minutes. And so she was talking to grace, wherever grace is. We all need grace in our lives, don't we, Nancy? We all need it. Anyway, talking to her, and I said to Kelly, this is terrible, terrible. Hey, Kel, those scriptures aren't going to get up there by themselves. Oh. Do you ever wish you had a fishing pole for words? You can just pull them babies back in. So she puts these up there in the next, you know, the next five minutes before church because I wanted you to see them. I wanted you to see them. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us. Since we have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Why the virgin birth? Right there. Because we had flesh and blood, he took on flesh and blood. Our sin, not his problem. His love made our problem his problem. Next verse. And free those who all their lives were held, by the, held in slavery by their fear of death. Wow. The greatest fear is the fear of death. As, again, I keep saying as I get older, I'm not old yet, but I can see it from where I'm at. I'm, I'm not afraid of death I'm a bit afraid of dying, if you understand that. I was talking with someone this week that I've experienced death more, like I started in ministry at 21 years old, full-time ministry, every day of my life. In my 20s, and when I got here in my early 30s, I experienced death more than what the normal 20 and 30-year-old would because of being a pastor. And it's freaked me out through the years. Because I'm not afraid of dying and going to heaven, I'm or I'm not afraid of death, I'm afraid of the dying process. And I'm still continuing to process this idea that, the, that God's grace that got me to that point will see me through. And that whatever I need at that time, he will give me just as he's always given me what I needed for that time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you really get this. But here's what Jesus did, the virgin birth, took on flesh and blood. So we don't have to fear death anymore. He died for us. Next verse. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That's us. Even Gentiles were welcomed into the family of God. He didn't come and die for the angels. He came and died for you. Take the word us out and put your own name in there. 
He died for you. Next verse. For this reason, he had to be made like them. See, the whole virgin birth thing. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. What that means is that when we pray, he intercedes on our behalf and he's merciful because he knows what we go through. He felt all of the same emotions, all of the same pain that we have experienced. In fact, his emotional pain was so great that his body sweat blood. So he knows. And he's that high priest and that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people. He might pay the price for our sins only because he took on flesh and blood, the virgin birth. Last verse. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those that are being tempted. In one translation says being tested. Now, I, I know some of you, some of you I, I, I know, others I just know from percentage-wise of our crowd here today are going through tough times, maybe the most difficult times of your life, the times where you have just thrown up your hands and say, I, I, I just don't know what to do. It might be when you don't know what to do, you might be at the best place of all because then you become fully dependent on the only one that can help, and his name is, is Jesus. And what I want you to see more than anything else today is that his virgin birth says that he came to us because we couldn't get to him, and he cares for us. He took on flesh and blood. And that not only did he come to die, but he came to live so that we would have someone we can turn to when no one else understands. That's how much God loves you. That's how much Jesus cares for you. You're never alone with Jesus. He's with you. And he wants to help you. And you can be honest with him. If you're angry about what's happened in your life, let him know. If you're broken by what has happened in, in your life, let, let him know. Because he knows. He was angry at what they did to the house of God. He was, he was broken by betrayal and denial. He knows. And he loves you. He came as the Son of God so that his sacrifice would be sufficient. He cares for you as a son of man so that he could stand in your place and be a substitute for you on the cross and that he cares for you right now in whatever you're facing because he took on flesh and blood, proves it once and for all that he is all that he says he is and more. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.